G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Let's talk about the G20 and how some of the issues that are being discussed will impact on things like religious freedom. And one of those who will be addressing a particular meeting during the G20 when it comes to those Christian events that are on that coincide with the G20 is Dr. Brian Grimm from the United States. He's addressing what's called a time of important conversations, a forum where Christian leaders will be answering questions on a whole host of issues. Well, ahead of the G20, Brian Grimm's made himself available uh, late night in the United States. Brian, welcome to 2020. Good to be with you, Neil. Brian, I should just say to listeners, there might be a little bit of a hum on the line, but we'll persevere with that. Brian, you're coming to Australia. How important is it to be addressing the issues that you're going to be focusing on, and particularly with regard to religious freedom and business? Oh, it's very important. So the G20 is an organization that looks at not just uh, current economic trends, but also future trends. And in the research that I've done, uh, we found a very close connection between uh, things such as religious freedom, uh, religious hostilities, and uh, social and economic uh, well-being. Uh, so that's often not on the agenda of world leaders, but at least in the data, we see a very close connection. So, Brian, as a sociologist, do you crunch the numbers the way an economist might do uh, in order to actually come up with dollar figures on what it costs the world when they try to uh, prohibit religious freedom? Uh, some of that is what we is what I do, but uh, I do different kinds of modeling that an economist would do as well. So one one study that uh, that was done by one of my fellow sociologists looked at the economic contributions of just a, a, a dozen churches in one city in the United States, and they found you know that the economic contributions through the um, humanitarian aid, education, and uh, different programs to help the community totaled $54 million a year. So that's one of the ways that you can look at the value of religion. And then in places like China, where there's a campaign to destroy uh, churches by some local officials, I mean actual church buildings and eliminate congregations, uh, that's one thing that they may not be considering, that uh, you know, as they destroy uh, a place of worship, that they're also destroying uh, economic, educational, and other social benefits that come with that that have uh, you know quite significant dollar amounts associated with it. Brian, you've worked for decades as an educator in the former Soviet Union, in China, Central Asia, the Middle East, and in Europe. Uh, when you talk about uh, religious freedom and the oppression that's coming against Christianity in particular, uh, you can see that there are dramatic effects. Uh, that's right. So one of the uh, areas of research I do is to look at 
uh, how uh, religious diversity, which is one of the results of having religious freedom, because religious freedom means that people have the ability to choose their faith, change their faith, or have no faith at all. And so that religious freedom that allows a diversity of beliefs is something that uh, is a trigger for innovation and development in societies. So when uh, places try to maintain either a monopoly faith or prevent uh, a sort of a, a, a pluralism within society, what they're doing is actually limiting the uh, uh, the resources in society to innovate, uh, to have new ideas, uh, which you know you think it might only apply to the religious field, but when you try to stop um, people having new new ideas and new pathways. Uh, that has a direct impact on uh, the overall thinking and innovation of a country. When you talk pluralism and the ability for a whole lot of different religions to exist side by side, is there ever a perfectly fair playing field uh, where one uh, is uh, tolerant of the other? Or is it typical that one will try and outweigh the other when it comes to power? Well, yeah, that's a really, really good question, and and I can give one example uh, of uh, one of the largest countries in the world where we've seen that pluralism be very productive, and the country is Brazil. So in Brazil, as as you may know, it, ha- it's, it has the largest Catholic population of any country, uh, but the share of Catholics has been de- declining over the past several decades. Uh, from nearly 95% in 1980 till today, there's 65%. So about a third of the population has changed their faith from being Catholic to being predominantly evangelical, Pentecostal, um, and and other faiths like uh, Latter-day Saints, Mormons, uh, Seventh-day Adventists. And all of that has happened with no violence. And as I look into the reasons for this, there's several, and the two most important are one, Brazilian people themselves uh, have come to embrace and value uh, religious freedom. I was at a religious freedom festival, and 30,000 people came out, uh, you know, just for that festival to hear and celebrate religious freedom. But perhaps the most important factor was that the Catholic Church, though it, it laments the loss of many people, uh, was coming out of a period of the Vatican II um, meetings in which they passed Dignitate Humanae, which is the Catholic Church's Declaration on Human Liberty. And in that, uh, they changed the position of the Church, one from being uh, that government should support orthodoxy and protect you know, truth, to one that the individual's uh, conscience is is the basic human right and how the Catholic Church views religious freedom. And because the majority faith in that country uh, accepted religious freedom, all of that religious change happened peacefully, and there has grown a rich pluralism in the country. And and it may even be benefiting the Catholic Church because now they're asking why did people leave and what do we need to do to uh, better minister to people so they find a home in the Catholic Church. Brian, I suspect the playing field, though, when you've got nations where you're not talking about the balance of Christian denominations, but where you've got a 
Islam in the mix and the playing field remaining level is very difficult, uh, particularly when there is a push uh, for Sharia law and uh, for other uh, issues that present themselves when there are two uh, almost opposing religious uh, philosophies. Well, I think, you know, had uh, the changes in Brazil happened before Vatican II, you know, it could have been a very different situation. So it points to the importance of uh, religious groups embracing religious freedom if they want to see their societies be peaceful. So, you know, it's, right now it's very difficult to imagine that such a change within Islam, not considering outside of Islam, but say if, if a third of Muslims in Sunni-majority Egypt would switch to being Shia, you know, that, that, there's no way to conceive that happening peacefully. Or in Iran, Shia majority or Iran, what if a third of uh, Muslims would become Sunni? You know, that, that there's no um, concept that that could happen peacefully. So it really points to the importance of religious groups themselves um, coming to terms with diversity with their own faith, within their own faith. And I think that that, you know, if that were, would happen within Muslim communities, then the, the prospects for, um, you know, more religious freedom for other faiths besides Muslims would also grow. Dr. Brian Grimm is our guest. He's speaking to us from the United States, going to be in Australia, and will be one of the presenters at a forum called Important Conversations. It'll coincide with the G20 that will be on in Brisbane. The Important Conversations forum is on Thursday the 13th of November at the City Tabernacle Baptist Church in Brisbane. Brian, stay with us because I've got some questions about the rise of secularism in Western nations and the threat to religious freedom that's not coming necessarily from other religions but is coming from a government that wants to create some level of secular humanist society. We'll come back and talk some more in just a few moments. We're talking issues of religious freedom and with the G20 almost upon us in Brisbane, in Australia, there's going to be a particular forum called Important Conversations. One of those who'll be addressing the forum is coming from the United States, Dr. Brian Grimm, the president of the Religious Freedom and Business Foundation. Now, Brian is a leading expert on the socio-economic impact of restrictions on religious freedom. He's also a member of the World Economic Forum's Council on the Role of Faith and an advisor for the Religion and Geopolitics Project of the Tony Blair Foundation. Brian, when we talk about rising secularism in nations, uh, Western nations, and we're seeing this in Australia, uh, the ways that government can oppress religion and take that freedom away, uh, this must be a concern not just in Australia but in other nations as well. Uh, that's right. The, the growth of secularism uh, you know, is a phenomenon that has some positive uh, outcomes, but it also uh, if it becomes almost a militant secular secularism, uh, then it can be in some places as oppressive as uh, you know any other kind of philosophy. And of course, the the greatest example of oppressive secularism was the global experiment in communism uh, 
uh, in the Soviet Union and its satellites and, and still, you know, having some effect in places like North Korea, China and Cuba. How do you describe what happens in nations where uh, issues like same-sex marriage come to the fore, governments legislate in favour of minorities, and that puts a threat and almost raises uh, opportunity for uh, groups, uh, individuals, to then come with some level of persecution against the church and deny the religious freedoms to be able to uh, say that uh, that they believe one thing and uh, and are not able to because of uh, the environment they find themselves in. Well, that's a, that's a growing uh, cultural clash that's you know happening in many many Western countries. Uh, there's different responses to it, um, and you know one of the newest responses, at least in, in the Christian world, has been from Pope Francis uh, trying to take a more pastoral view towards uh, the issues of um, uh, at least uh, gay people and homosexuality, not not condoning gay marriage. Um, so I think that the the, the Christian uh, response to this uh, perhaps needs to also be um, more attentive to some of the the concerns that are right that you know we don't want to uh, discriminate discriminate against people in ways that uh, perhaps even drive them further from um, from the faith or whatever faith that that might be church someone's from uh, so it's a very tricky issue. Uh, to you know, not want to um, drive people away for something that's considered a sin, and you know, there's many sins. Gluttony, for instance, is a kind of sin, um, and you know, there there are in you know some places you see some uh, rather large people in the pews, and you know, the church doesn't close the the door uh, on that. So you know, I think that there's some needs to be some nuanced uh, approaches to this. Um, to take a pastoral approach, uh, but at the same time, on the other side, uh, it's you know quite important for societies to be able to have different points of view and voices on what's considered right and moral, and you know those are always value judgments, and and uh, with religion it always includes truth claims uh, as well. So when when the when there's not a possibility for a religious group, say a preacher from a pulpit, to you know speak out and and, and give a view on homosexuality that is uh, you know a critique, uh, then you've silenced a, a, a voice that may be very important for the future of society. Um, so you know, regardless of which way a person may stand on the issue of homosexuality and gay marriage. Uh, you know, it's important for all sides to be able to have a voice without shutting down uh, one, because in the end, uh, the only way to move forward in a, in a way that's good and just for society is for people to you know, be able to express their viewpoints. That would be a demonstration of religious freedom, wouldn't it? If there was a equal opportunity for both sides to be able to move into the debate and discuss things in a civilized way. Yeah, absolutely, and that's, uh, you know, I think, you know, in your opening question about how secularism, um, you know, can impinge upon religious freedom, that's one of the, the chief ways, is that uh, it can seek to shut down discussion um, by, you know, accusing 
people who disagree as being bigots, uh, you know, on the topic. And so that that's not really a productive conversation. Uh, I'm right now. I'm speaking to you from Salt Lake City, Utah, which is the uh, the home of the Mormon faith, and they've historically, you know, of course, been very conservative and and have views that are, um, you know, uh, that same-sex marriage is uh, not ordained by God. <clears throat> but this state has just uh, passed, and then it's been. Uh, 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 sort of approved by the uh, the Supreme Court that gay marriage can occur in the state. And the response of the Mormon Church has been one to, you know, say, well, this is now the law of the land, and how, how will we respond to that? So they don't change their teaching, but they are taking a more compassionate approach um, to to the gay community. So it's quite interesting to see the different responses uh, by Christian organizations trying to uh, navigate this, you know, r- very tricky uh, cultural and social topic. Brian, you're the president of the Religious Freedom and Business Foundation. Is there a threat to business when religious freedom is in decline? Well, research shows that when in countries where you have religious freedom. You have stronger innovation, more of the basic uh, foundations of society are functioning that help to support uh, economic growth. <clears throat> but when religious freedom is um, is not uh, practiced uh, by people in society and respected by the government, uh, then that tends to uh, put a damper uh, on many of the institutions that promote innovation and, and uh, the kind of thinking that can lead to long-term progress. Uh, so if when religious freedom is under threat, uh, then it can be a threat to the economy and in particular to businesses. I, I'll give one example um, that's uh, made news in the United States. Uh, there's a clothing retailer by the name of Abercrombie & Fitch that markets uh, hip clothing, and they hired a, a young Muslim woman to be uh, a stock girl in one of their stores. And when she interviewed, she wore her headscarf, and um, you know, and it didn't raise an issue in the interview. When she showed up for work, they said, "Well, you can't wear that headscarf." And she said, "Well, it's you know, I have to that you know, for my faith, it's important to me. I you know, I must wear it." And and they wouldn't accommodate it, and so she was fired. She then sued for religious discrimination. And for months, it was in the courts that Abercrombie and Fitch was being sued for religious discrimination. In the end, they lost the case and uh, and had to pay a fine. And now that case has been uh, pushed up to the U.S. Supreme Court as a test case to see whether or not the Supreme Court wants to take a stand on, on that issue for, for the whole country. And in response, uh, Abercrombie and Fitch stock just plummeted uh, after that announcement. So when when a company itself uh, doesn't respect the faith orientation, so to speak, of its employees, uh, it it can result in liability. But research shows when the company has a clear policy for you know accommodating um, reasonable accommodation of people's uh, faith, such as you know giving time off to celebrate important religious holidays accommodating days of worship, religious dress, uh, and and also not 
making people check their faith when they walk through the door, but they can bring their whole person, that, that companies that practice that uh, have better employee retention, higher morale, uh, at least in surveys we, that have been done here in the United States. So, you know, for a variety of reasons, uh, religious freedom, when respected by a company, um, benefits them. It, it avoids uh, litigation, bad press, but and it also promotes uh, the uh, buy-in of employees to the company. There certainly are a lot of dimensions to this issue of religious freedom. It'll be one of the important conversations at a forum that's being held on the 13th of November, talking that's a Thursday night at the City Tabernacle Baptist Church in Brisbane, and it runs uh, parallel with what's happening at the G20. And uh, for people who are visiting Brisbane for the G20, they can participate in those important conversations. One of those who will be addressing the forum is Dr Brian Grimm, and uh, he's the president of the Religious Freedom and Business Foundation. Brian, it's been good getting your insights, and uh, I'm sure there'll be plenty of discussion to be had here in Australia. Thank you so much for being with us on 2020. Thank you. Looking forward to being in Australia very soon. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts, or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.